take the small stranger, take the lid off, and pour the entire contents of the pour over the pipe. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast. It's 2021, and it is so good to be back behind the mic talking to you all. You may have noticed that I've been taking a break for the last several weeks, uh, two months, actually. And I just wanted to reassure you all that I haven't fallen through an interdimensional portal or anything like that. Uh, But I decided to take some time off primarily to work on my book. I've been sitting on an idea for a book about the gospel for a long time. And it's a deep dive into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and all of the endless, amazing implications that that has for us. It's a subject that I've already talked about at length on my show in my ongoing series, The Glories of the Cross. You know, what Jesus did for us on Calvary has implications for our minds, our bodies, our finances, our relationships. Really, no part of human existence is left unaffected by the blood of Jesus. And I've known since the beginning of doing that series that it would ultimately lead to some kind of a book. And uh, actually, right around the time I started that series, I got to go to dinner with Chris Overstreet. He's a pastor from Bethel, and he prophesied over me that I would write a book about the gospel, and he didn't even know that that was something that was on my heart. And so that word has been quietly burning in my heart for quite a while now. But let me just say that writing a book is not a quick process. And so trying to talk about the infinite goodness of God is like trying to stuff a waterfall through a straw. Honestly, I look like one of those crazy conspiracy nut memes with all of my research and scripts and quotes and journal entries and everything else just scattered around. But distilling that into something readable takes a whole lot of time and focus. And so the only way I knew I would make any progress at all is to set aside some intentional time to get it done. Um which I did not get it done. But thankfully, it is going well. I did knock out a substantial chunk of my first draft, and I actually shared the first 14 pages of it with my patrons on Patreon. But during my time away, a whole bunch of other exciting and surprising things came up. And so I want to take a minute to update everybody about some of those changes that are coming to this show. The long and short of it, is that sometime in the next year or so, Katie and I are moving away from Cleveland back to our homeland of the Northwest. And I am going back to school to study game development. And I've also accepted a promotion in the meantime that's going to mean I don't have nearly as much time to dedicate to making House of Bliss episodes. Now, I do want to be 100% clear that I am not quitting the show. But I felt it was important to mention all this because this show has been my main thing for the last two years. Thanks to my super generous patrons, I've been able to pour countless hours into writing, recording, editing, and producing new stuff on a near weekly basis. Sometimes more when I do extra bonus episodes and stuff for patrons. But while I am still going to continue, I'm just not sure how often I'll be releasing new episodes. There's a part of me that's a little sad about backing off because I I love doing this, but there's another part of me that is really excited to not constantly be thinking about that next episode, 
And instead, I'm just going to let the ideas breathe and let the inspiration flow rather than letting myself be kind of locked into that weekly content creation cycle. So all of that being said, if you are currently one of my patrons, please check your email for more details on all of that. I kind of spilled it all in this letter that I wrote. Um, But on top of all that, as I said, I was offered a promotion at my job. And the more I prayed about it, the more it felt right. And so this week, actually, I just started training for my new position. And on my first day, I ended up praying for a coworker with knee problems. And not only were her knees healed, but her foot and her back as well. Not too shabby for a first day. But again, I just want to reiterate one more time that I'm not stopping. Um, I am absolutely crazy in love with Jesus, and I just can't shut up about him. If I don't preach the gospel, I will explode like a peep in the microwave, like a third grade science fair baking soda and vinegar volcano, like a Pepsi in the dryer, like a, I don't know, like a, like a, But because I have school, work, my band, and all of the fun of dad life to attend to, as you can probably guess, that's going to slow down my podcast output quite a bit. And actually, I considered deleting my Patreon, but a lot of you have expressed a desire to continue to support me anyway, and I'm extremely grateful for that. So at least for now, I have no plans of stopping Patreon. As long as everybody knows that um, just the output of episodes is going to be slowing down quite a bit. But anyway, that's enough of that business. should we talk about in our first episode of 2021? Well, that whole announcement of me going back to school might seem a little bit out of left field for some of you that don't know me personally, but all of this stuff is is stuff that I've been in conversation about with the Lord for a long time. And so today, I thought it might be fun to dive into some of the ideas and revelations that are underpinning these decisions. So I want to talk to you specifically about the wisdom of God, but also how it helps us find our place in the kingdom. And so all of this starts about seven or eight years ago when I first fell into this astounding revelation of our oneness with God in Christ. And for a while, I was absolutely addicted to reading Ephesians and Colossians because they are sort of like the two bookends or twin halves of the same idea. Ephesians talks a lot about how we as believers are in Christ. It says, God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is a mouthful. That is a lifetime's worth of goodness right there. But let's just think about this for a minute. You are in two places at once. You are here 
wherever here is for you, whether it's Hawaii or Oslo or wherever, but your feet are touching planet Earth, but you are also simultaneously seated in the heavenly realms inside of Christ. And furthermore, your job there is to be the object of God's kindness. And so imagine this infinitely rich well of God's kindness. And it says that he wants to show off or express that kindness to the world by blessing you. So we'll talk about that a lot more in a minute. But let's jump over to see what Colossians says. It says the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the mystery that Paul is referring to when he talks about this mystery is it's the mysterious plan of salvation. All throughout the Old Testament, there are glimpses that this human story is headed somewhere. You know, that that God is going to bring some good out of this crazy, bloody, sweaty, happy, sometimes gut-wrenching thing that we call life. But all they ever got in the Old Testament were glimpses of this plan, hints through the prophets at what this salvation would, would look like, but it was shrouded in mystery for millennia. But now... It's here. It's out in the open. And the thing we've all been longing for, the answer to the questions aching deep in the heart of every living being is this, Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, again, throughout the Old Testament, we see that there are moments where God visited his people with his presence. On some occasions, people got to speak with God face to face. In other times, the Spirit of God would come on to people and they would prophesy or do incredible miracles, but eventually that Spirit would lift off of them. Now, post-cross, God has permanently fused himself with his own creation. So he doesn't visit us any longer. He lives within us. For thousands of years, the only place people could experience the tangible, manifested spirit of God was in the temple or tabernacle, aside from a few rare examples. But now we are that temple. And so I like to say it like this. We are in heaven in him. He is on earth in us. And this one single revelation has been like the nuclear fuel that keeps my fire for Jesus burning. You know, people say this phrase all the time about pizza and TV shows and whatever, but I mean, this literally changed my life. Ever since seeing this, my life has become a quest dedicated to exploring and exhausting all of the implications of this fact that we are one with God. And I think that this is something the church gives lip service to. But if you listen carefully, you'll see that it hasn't really settled into our thinking as a global body, at least not in a practical sense. 
Because if you're still thinking of your relationship with God as primarily a two-way interaction, you and the big man upstairs, you doing your part and God will do his part to bless you. Or if you're still asking for permission for everything or, or finding yourself bargaining with or trying to convince God, then there's something really important that you need to understand. That by choosing to live inside of you and bringing you to live in Him, it means that everything God is and has is already yours, right? You don't have to ask for a word. The word Himself is in you. You don't need to beg for the table scraps of miraculous interventions when the entire kingdom is already yours, You see, when talking about oneness, the Bible often uses marriage imagery. That is that God is the husband and we are his bride. Now, this might sound a little bit scandalous or even heretical to you, but built into that imagery is this implication that we have an unbelievable amount of equality with God. You know, there's this often quoted verse where people will say, God will never share his glory with another. And yet that is exactly what Jesus did when he made himself one with us. And in John, he actually says to the father, Father, I have given them the glory that you have given to me that they may be one as we are one. It's amazing. And Graham Cook often says that oneness with God includes all of the freedom and permissions of love. All of this adds up to the relationship between us and God is best described as the love between a husband and wife who are absolutely head over heels in love with each other. It's it's actually a lot more than that, but marriage is the closest earthly parallel. So just read Song of Solomon sometime. The love of God is a billion times more sweet and sappy than you could ever imagine. And that reality really should inform and shape our conversations with God. For example, if I ask an acquaintance of mine if I can borrow their car, that might be a little bit of a stretch because we don't know each other that well. So it's a bit of an overreach of intimacy to say, hey, let me take your car for a road trip. Maybe, maybe they would do it, but it would take a lot of convincing to get that kind of permission. My wife, on the other hand, we share our cars all the time. We don't even think about it because our entire life has been blended into one whole. Now, she might ask me out of courtesy, but the reality is anything that she wants of mine, she knows is already hers because we are one and God has united himself to us in this way. Oh, sorry. I needed some water. You guys want to hear the sound of my gulping? (sighs) Sorry about that. Some of you are probably totally disgusted right now, but it is what it is. Now, the question is, (laughs) why did God do all of this? Why did he go to the cross and seat us in heavenly places and bless us with all of the riches that heaven has to offer? Well, first and foremost... He did it because he loves us. You see, knowing him 
and experiencing him is the reason for your existence. There is, okay, there are no strings attached to that. Oftentimes people talk about grace and salvation and feel the need to emphasize that we have a job to do. Life isn't a vacation. Okay, but the Bible says that it is for freedom that we are set free. Freedom! (laughs) We don't have to live with an ounce of shame for enjoying our freedom in Christ. But because we're in love, we will begin to want the same things that God wants. And the the unavoidable fact of life is... Not everybody knows about this incredible gospel, and so very few people are experiencing freedom in Christ. There are still countless billions of lost kiddos who have no idea how good their daddy really is. And so God desires that everyone would come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. And so at some point you will begin to realize that you also beat with a deep desire to share this goodness with those around you who need it the most. And that is when you discover the unto of salvation, that yes, you are free for freedom's sake, but God has also given you the incredible, exciting, and fun privilege of being his vessel for sharing this good news. But how does he want us to go about doing that? Well, that's where things get really interesting. For so much of my life, I had a laser-like focus on what would be considered traditional church ministry, that the way to share the gospel is to evangelize with signs and wonders. You know, Matthew 10, 8 stuff, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, etc. All of that is completely necessary and good. Obviously, I'm someone who still practices all of that. But if we look at Ephesians 3, which fleshes out this revelation of us being in Christ, it's far more holistic and frankly imaginative than what we would normally call church ministry. Listen to this from Ephesians. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Holy run-on sentence, Batman. Anyway, if we wanted to, we could take another three to six episodes on just that little verse. But let me highlight a couple of quick things for you. First, Paul says he was tasked with preaching the riches of Christ. Now, that is a giant statement because anything and everything that could ever be classified as wealth is hidden in Christ. Ecstasy, love, peace, wholeness, purpose, community, all of it. But it's not just limited to these spiritual unseen things. He goes on to say that God wants to display his manifold or multifaceted wisdom. Now, what do we know about wisdom? Well, people get very uncomfortable 
when we start talking about material wealth, but let me just read you some of the things that the book of Proverbs says are the direct benefits of wisdom. Okay, it says a wise person listens to the voice of wisdom and will therefore live in safety and be at ease with no fear of harm. A wise person has no fear when they lie down and go to sleep. When they wake up, they find that their sleep was peaceful, pleasant, and sweet. Um, because of their wisdom, they will be successful and strong. A person who lives wisely shall live for a long time, and years will be added to their life. A wise person's heart and mind are at peace. Their body will be healthy and strong. They shall return to receive life, prosperity, and honor. Because of this, they shall be friends with even people as influential and powerful as the king. A wise person trusts in the Lord and will be rewarded with blessing, success, and prosperity. Now think of all, think about all of this. Success, prosperity, peace, sweet sleep, long life, health. These are all of the things that the world seeks so desperately. Yet all of this stuff is contained within the person of Jesus who has given us unlimited access, provided that we make him our source. And so if all of this is true, then this is starting to sound like some really good news. And that is exactly the point. So let's back this up a little bit and follow Paul's line of thinking. God saved us and seated us in heavenly places in Christ. Why? To show us the riches of his kindness, to be the objects of his kindness, and to be the ones he can vent his endless goodness on. But then he wants to demonstrate this reality to the world by displaying his multifaceted wisdom through us, the church. And so I like to think about it like a disco ball. Each of us is like a small piece of glass on that disco ball. And the light of Christ shines onto the church and is spread out in a million different directions and shapes and expressions of that source light. But there's actually more. So let's follow Paul's line of thought into chapter 4, into this conclusion of his, because I want you to catch the big vision here. Paul goes on to say that God has given us apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to do ministry. Oh, wait, no, that's not what it says. It says he has given us apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so here's my question. How many people go to church every single week admiring the speakers on the stage thinking, oh, wow, these people are doing the work of God. Well, I'm just doing the I'm just delivering the mail every day or oh, I'm just a businesswoman. But you know, maybe if I give all my money to the church, then it will mean something to God. But actually, this thinking is totally backwards. The job of the ones that we typically think of as ministers is to equip you to do ministry wherever you are. If anything, ministers are just the coaches, but you are the athlete. They may give the pep talks, but you are playing the game. You are the one actually out there in the world making a difference. And I've heard it asked this way, who's more likely to reach an unbeliever? A reverend who spends 40 hours a day locked in his study so he can preach a, a sermon to a room full of people on Sunday? 
Or is it the office worker who's sharing eight hours a day of contact and conversation and lunch breaks with unbelievers day in and day out for years at a time? I mean, that person gets a front row seat to people's real lives. And if they have the skills and confidence and patience, they can be a profoundly impactful source of encouragement in someone's life. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be stuck at some office job that you hate. If you, you know, if you want to be a minister, then go for it. That's awesome. But if you, like me at various stages of life, are feeling, you know, a bit out of place in your current line of work, then keep listening. This is my question to you. And this is the question I've been wrestling with for several months now, is what does it look like when the wisdom of God shines through you? You know, keep in mind that disco ball metaphor, that God is looking for millions of different ways to demonstrate himself, right? If he wanted you to do it the same way as somebody else, he would have made two of them. But if you don't know the answer to that question, then I want to propose something that may be new to you. What if the answer lies somewhere in your interests? Right? Christ put himself into you. That means he wanted to add himself to whatever you have, whoever you are. You know, so maybe maybe you're a, a closet math wizard who really enjoys breaking down the, the way the universe works through formulas and physics. Or maybe you have a green thumb and you just can't get away from the garden, and if you could, you'd spend all day outside planting flowers. A lot of times, we set aside these so-called natural desires because they don't fit within the accepted definition of what we call ministry. But think about this. No one person can hold all of the wisdom of God. What if God is looking for someone who loves botany to reveal the secrets of botany to? God God knows everything about everything, and I wonder if he's just waiting for someone to ask him what he knows about sculpting or interior design. You know, what if God, in all of his foreknowledge, planted those desires and hobbies in you like seeds so that the water of his wisdom could grow them into something amazing? But this is just not the kind of imagination we get presented with in church, a while back, I was listening to um, Eric Johnson, uh, another Bethel pastor, and he was talking about how, as a pastor, he has friends in the business sector that he envies at times. Because when you're the pastor of a high-profile church, that kind of excludes you from a, being able to do a lot of different things. But he would have meetings with friends in the business sector who are seeing God move in amazing ways. And so my point here is not to diminish preaching or church ministry or healing the sick or any of that stuff. I'm so thankful for the people who feel called to do that. I'm only trying to say that God is wildly imaginative in how he wants to share the riches of Christ with the world through you. And so this, this passage in Ephesians is an invitation that is so broad, so wide, that it allows for a lot of freedom to dream. And so let's take a break and just ponder that for a minute. And when we come back, I'm going to get a little bit more personal about how this has worked out in my own journey with God. 
All right, welcome back, everybody. I am done with all the preaching for today, um, but I thought it might be interesting or beneficial to some of you to talk about how all of these thoughts led to my decision to go back to school for game design of all things. And I'm gonna get pretty vulnerable and personal here. So if this helps you in any way, please feel free to send me a message or an email letting me know. So all of this stuff about wisdom, about ministry, about union with God has been bouncing around at the forefront of my heart and mind for the last few months. In my daily times of prayer, I've sensed something like an unopened invitation from God. You know, like a text message sitting in my inbox that I hadn't taken the time to open because I knew it was going to be a doozy. But once I had the ability to take some time off, allow myself some space to think and pray, I began to hear something in my spirit. Not an audible voice, but an inward knowing of sorts that God was asking this question of me. Where would I like to see God manifest his wisdom through me? What am I curious about? What sector or area of society would I want to see him supernaturally invade with unlimited wisdom? Well, to be transparent here, I have been letting other people answer this question for me for a long time. And I just assumed that church, church ministry was my lane and I didn't let myself bother to think outside of that too much. Like I've always been creative. I've always had some sort of musical or art related projects going on. But every time I ventured out, I ended up funneling back into the church setting because deep down I was afraid of leaving the safe familiarity of that world. There's been a part of me that's felt like I would be disappointing God somehow if I didn't become a pastor or something. And no matter how many times I tried that path out, it just never fit. It felt like trying to shove your right foot into the left shoe. Now in my head, I know that's all bogus. I know that theologically I cannot disappoint someone who sees the end from the beginning. You know, like Graham Cook always says, God is not disappointed with you because he has no illusions about you. But that fear has lingered in my heart for so long, keeping me stuck tap dancing to this religious song that God wasn't singing. And I felt like finally, recently, God has brought healing to me by asking me that free and open-ended question. It wasn't like a, I'm telling you what to do because I'm your superior. It was more like a, what do you, my son, my partner in sharing this good news, what do you want to do? And it caught me off guard. I had to really think about it. And that's when I realized there's been a part of me that I've been pushing down because I thought of it as worldly or lesser. But I love art, design, music, technology, and I particularly love how all of those things come together in video games. Yet in the past, whenever I thought about becoming a game developer, I had this nagging religious guilt choking out that curiosity. And so here's where I'm going with all of this. I had this realization that in the past, I had felt that all of that game stuff was in the way of the real stuff that God wanted to do. But I, ha I had this breakthrough where I realized 
What if God isn't trying to push my natural desires out of the way so he can replace them with something else? What if he just simply wants to fill those desires with himself? You know, what if he put me in this time and place in history with these creative gifts, not so I could religiously snuff them out only to resurface like trying to stuff a beach ball underwater, but so that God could then take them and shine through them? Well, suddenly it felt like I was able to embrace a part of myself that I had rejected in shame comparison that old thief of joy had snuck in and told me that God wants me to be more like so-and-so on stage and not like Cole. It's almost like if I gave my daughter a bunch of toys for her birthday, but then while I stepped away, someone convinced her to throw them in the trash because dad doesn't really want you to have those. I mean, how sad and absurd And in this moment with God, it felt like he was giving me back something precious that I had thrown in the trash. And so that was in December. And about a month ago, at the beginning of January, I started dabbling with uh, learning to code. And after trying it out for like, I don't know, 10 seconds, it snowballed into me enrolling into all these different online courses because it's just so much fun. And I sense the pleasure of God when I'm, when I'm making stuff. And so I know that was a really long story, but I say all of that because I suspect that there are some of you with toys in the trash. Some of you out there may have been tricked out of things because you just didn't believe you were good enough or that it was a worthy enough thing to pursue. But this is the beauty of union with God. When you realize that God isn't trying to squash what makes you you, he's only trying to fill it and complete it with what makes him God. And so the last thing I wanted to ask you is do you have any crazy hobbies or dreams or desires that you've convinced yourself are too unimportant? Well, what if instead of throwing them in the trash, you bring them before the Father? He has all the wisdom in the world. I wonder what he knows about bug collecting or axe throwing or flower growing. You know, maybe it's not career material. Not everything is. Not everything needs to be. But maybe God has just been sitting around waiting for someone to finally ask him for all the divine secrets of scrapbooking or football. I don't know. What if you begin to have those conversations and in that place of communing with him in it and displaying his manifold wisdom, the world looks at you and says, wow, there has to be a God because something about doing things with God releases a fragrance, and it shows the world that there is someone behind all of this goodness in the world. One of my my favorite stories is, um, you know, the story of King Solomon who, who had just, you know, this astounding wisdom of God. And it says the queen of Sheba came to his palace and basically she fainted because of all of the outfits that the servers had and because of the gold on the spoons and just like how elaborate and crazy detailed the palace of Solomon was. It was so crazy it made her faint. 
well, what if you and Jesus, you know, scrapbooking together, like in that place of you communing with him and displaying that manifold wisdom, what if the world looks at you and says, wow, there has to be a God. There has to be somebody helping her do that. What if, you know, what if they say, oh, I see the joy and the completeness that oozes from your life. What is all that about? And you could say, yeah, that's my dad. And we do everything together. Thanks for going on that verbal journey with me. Hopefully that means something to someone out there. I love you all. Thanks for listening.